You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 240th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it's our 769th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of December 30th, 2021. I'm your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. Tonight's banner moment occurred last week after the Northern Kentucky game when Coach Woodson was asked about a change in the starting lineup. Anthony Leal had replaced Parker Stewart in the lineup, and Stewart did not see any time on the court in the first half. It was obvious when Stewart played in the second half that Coach Woodson had chosen to discipline Stewart by sitting him during the first half. Coach Woodson was asked in the press conference um, about that and replied that he will never discuss locker room issues with the fans or the media. This is so good for the Indiana program. Coach Woodson is holding players accountable for the culture that he wants while maintaining trust when he keeps things in the locker room. This helps improve the team during the season and also says a lot to future recruits as they are making their decision on whether to join the Indiana Hoosier basketball program. There is a reason players are choosing to play for Coach Woodson. That comment right there is one of those reasons, uh, and that's a great example. Thanks, Coach, uh, for bringing uh, Indiana basketball back. If we're back a little bit, a lot, that's what we're going to discuss uh, this week here on the show. Okay, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for tonight. Andy is off this week. Jared will be here in, in a little bit, but here with me now. Um... Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, Let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. It's the one and only Ryan Phillips uh, joining us. Uh, Ryan, what is your rant this week? Uh, well, I apologize for still not having a, a working microphone. I will have that by our next show, uh, thanks to shipping issues. But um, I, there's nothing happening, Coach. That's that's what my rant is about. It's a canceled game last night, obviously, with UNC Asheville having COVID issues. We understand that that's uh, you know necessary. Glad they canceled it as opposed to put anybody in danger. But there's nothing to talk about. Uh, there hasn't been a game since the last time we did this, so uh, we're gonna have to just dig deep. It's like an off-season show almost, Coach. Right? You know, yep. we're just gonna have to dig deep and find things to talk about. What I will say is on the subject of COVID cancellations. Everybody have a great New Year's tomorrow night. Um, just be safe, be smart, like everybody else, and and have a good time. Uh, we don't need you having things canceled for for COVID, uh, like our basketball team. So 
Um, that's all I got, Coach. Uh, let's dig into let's dig into some some deeper topics, but uh, nothing really to rant about because nothing happened. And here's what we are going to try to talk about. We have some Hoosier headlines here in segment one. Segment two, uh, Jared will be joining us uh, about 8.30 or so. Uh, what we think we know about Indiana heading into Big Ten play. And then segment three, we have some really good questions in the mailbag as usual. All of that is coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But this edition of the Assembly Call Radio is presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison. And Homefield has something special for fans and grads of other schools, considering their product line now extends to more than 120 different schools with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. Plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly. What could be better than that? Go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME to, for 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Okay, here are the Hoosier headlines, and uh, Ryan and I will be talking about them here in Section 1. Obviously, the UNC-Asheville game uh, was canceled. Uh, that was a non-conference game. That's not going to necessarily move the needle for Indiana's outcome at the end of the year. Um, a little bit less risk of injury heading into the Big Ten. Uh, the con is uh, athletic department loses some money, obviously, from the gate uh, and a chance to maybe uh, increase efficiency numbers uh, for the metrics. And, and players uh, are trying to get an opportunity to to hone their game. Also, you know, with the Hoosier ticket project, there were uh, several families uh, planning to go to their first Hoosier game. That's kind of a, a sad, um, you know, result of, of canceling these games. Those families don't get to, to go. Also, Miro Little announced official visits, a point guard, 6'4 point guard, uh, official visits to Baylor, Villanova, and Indiana. That's some good company uh, for your Hoosiers. Uh, he's from Finland, Hels Helsinki Basketball Academy, uh, and uh, that'll be interesting to see how that recruitment uh, goes for the Hoosiers. Uh, the Big Ten updates its forfeiture policy. Basically, uh, if you can show that it's unsafe for your team to compete, even if you have seven healthy players and a coach, uh, the minimum that you need to play, you won't get an automatic forfeit which would count as a loss, uh, the conference will try to reschedule those games. Uh, and also, there were some high school recruits, Jalen hood Shafino, and Caleb Banks. Uh, various uh, outlets are reporting on their games, have some film out of their holiday season basketball games. Caleb Banks, I think, dropped uh, 32 points, uh, over 30 uh, the other night, and looked really good, He's obviously. some serious He's been putting some serious numbers up this year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you're always going to get the, the two-minute highlight. You're not going to see him travel or – or miss a closeout or anything like that on those highlights. But still, that's that's good to see those guys that are committed to Indiana uh, playing well. So that's that's our headlines, Ryan. Uh, you know, there's not much more. You already said a lot enough about the canceled games. They are what they are. Uh, you got to appreciate the games that are that are on. Um, Coach, you said that this game wouldn't have moved the needle from a bracketology perspective. Where was uh, Asheville ranked, and, and well, what do they consider? Yeah. At, Asheville actually was supposedly leading their conference at the time. It depends, you know, they're in a one-bid conference, so you have to win the conference tournament at the end of the year. So when we put a bracket together, the source we use, warrennolan.com, just lists the team at the head of the standings. Well, UNC sure. was uh, ahead uh, last Thursday or Friday when we put our bracket together. So um, 
that's a game where it it, it doesn't really help you because it's not a quad one or quad two. Um, but it's better to play the top team from that conference than the bottom team from that conference. So sure. it would have been good. The the way it helps Indi would have helped Indiana was if they get a wide margin of victory and they their defensive metrics and their offensive metrics. In fact, that's what's keeping Indiana in or just out of some of the brackets. We got a great question in the mailbag for it. Um, their metrics have been really good, but it's been built on a schedule that hasn't been very strong. Indiana's metrics are are tourney uh, worthy at this time. So yeah, that that's that's one of the things. Uh, do you know much about uh, uh, Miro Little, uh, the point guard Ryan that uh, announced an official visit? Yeah, he's uh, he's a taller kind of combo guard. I think he can play off the ball, but he's he's running point right now. Um, you know, it's hard with the competition in Finland to really know how good he is, but on film, he looks pretty darn good. Um, I haven't, I haven't done a huge deep dive, uh, but he's a guy I know this coaching staff really likes. I mean, you can tell how hard they go after somebody. And a guy, a guy they really liked was Gabe Cups. They went all in on Gabe Cups to get him. They just, there's something about him. They were like, I mean, we, we did the scouting report on him. I like him too. But when, you know, you, you stack him up against some of the other guards they were into and you look at the rankings and you look at his size and stuff and you think, well, maybe he's not the number one option here, but they liked him. And when a coaching staff likes a guy, it's because he fits what they do, what they're looking for, and all of that. So clearly, they're all in on Little. They've been over to Finland to see him. I'm, I think Dane Fife has uh, in person. I mean, that's an expensive trip, folks, to take the uh, to gas up the old private jet to go to Finland. Um, so they clearly really like him, and they're clearly kind of going in on him pretty hard. Um, and, and you know, that's I think it's it's a two way street he seems to really like what indiana's offering now of course he has to come and visit and spend time on campus and all of that but uh they seem to really like him and, and the way he plays and he seems to be a guy who can score but is also a distributor and so i think he can play both on and off the ball and that's going to be I, I think you're going to start to see I, I think mike woodson likes having a guy who can ri- rely on to bring the ball up but i also think that the guard position in what he does is going to be pretty interchangeable and quite frankly in the nba that's the way it is. I mean, unless you have Steph Curry or, you know, uh, whoever, you know, coming up, you know, Chris Paul, your guards are pretty interchangeable these days and can all kind of do a little bit of the same things. They want to have the exact same skill set, but they, there's overlap between them. Uh, Steph Curry, you want bringing the ball up because, you know, he can shoot it from 50 feet and he's dangerous from there. You know, there, there's there's all kinds of, of, of little, you know, caveats to that rule. But pretty much if you – I would say one through four, three and sometimes four in the NBA can bring the ball up for you and, and maybe make some plays. And so uh, I think that's the way that you should expect Indiana to move going forward is not just having one guy who brings the ball up. You've seen Race Thompson bring the ball up at times this year when people are hounding Xavier Johnson or, or Rob Finnessy or whatever. So I really do think that that's going to be an interesting development here. And, and as we've said for the last couple of years, we're really moving away from the world of a one, two, three, four, five, you know, and having those be specific positions. You basically have perimeter guys and post guys, and that's about it. Uh, and, and that's the way basketball is moving. That's the way college basketball, a little a couple years behind the NBA, but is moving in the same direction. Ryan, do you think um, the way Woodson uh, allows his point guards to create and score, and he's really encouraged Rob to score more, he's given uh, X a lot of flexibility and leeway uh, to drive and score. That's good for this basketball team right now, but it also sends a signal to uh, future guards, uh, both point guards and, like you said, twos and threes, wings, 
that uh, you come in here and if you can drive the basketball, shoot the basketball, you're going to get some freedom. For for a kid like that, for us to start competing with Villanova and Baylor um, for for official visits uh, early on in Coach Woodson, I think that reflects in players are listening and seeing that that he lets his guys um, play some basketball. And, and it's a guard-oriented world. So uh, do you think um, – that plays a, a part in, in Cups coming in uh, this Miro Lito a little uh, wanting to come to visit. Yeah, and I think that when Mike Woodson talks, he talks about freedom. Players like freedom. You know yeah, that, Coach. Absolutely. Players like being able to make their own decisions on the court. Now, whether they make good decisions or bad decisions is up to them and is is certainly up for debate. Um, but But they like that idea. They like that idea that, hey, if I see a lane to attack, this coach isn't going to be mad if I go attack, even if I miss. You know, he's not going to stomp out on the floor, call timeout, and say you should pass it there every time. You know, it's and and so I think that there is some uh, something to that, to the freedom idea, and also to the idea that he expects everybody who comes on the floor to contribute. You know, you're not coming on the floor just to set screens and do nothing. You, you know, and 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 with some other offenses. That's all you're doing. You're screening, and if you're not going to get a lob for a dunk or a wide-open layup, you're not shooting, you're not scoring. You're not that guy. You do other things. You know? You're know. you just a defender. You're just a, 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 a guy, a ball mover, whatever. He wants everybody to contribute. And so you, you always hear you know, when a bench guy contributes, he's like, well, were you surprised by how much you got from me? He said, no, I expect everybody who comes on the floor to contribute. And so even if you're not playing that much, you know, if you're going to be a bench guy or something like that, you're going to have the freedom to create offense. Now, if you miss 33s in a row, he's probably going to tell you, hey, pass that, pass that shot up next time. You know, but at the same time, he's, he seems to want everybody to contribute and everybody to be able to sort of do everything. And, and you see that is the example of Race Thompson. We've heard all those stories about that, about how, you know, the guys who were returning, you know, basically told him he can't do this, he can't do this, he can't do that. And Woodson said, well, it's our job to teach him to do that. You know, like he can do it if we just – teach him how to do it. And so that's his attitude. He doesn't put people in boxes. He wants to get them better and he wants to give them the freedom to make plays. And that's the, the difference here than over the last couple of years. One other thing, uh, Coach Marlowe in the chat mentioned C.J. Gunn came back off of a wrist injury where he missed seven or eight uh, high school games and, and came back and had a, a really solid performance in, in his early games uh, during Christmas time. So it's good. There's another IU uh, signee uh, that had been out um, injury that's that's back playing well. So you got Hood Shafino, you got Banks, you got C.J. Gunn. Uh, those guys um, are all having some – uh, pretty good run now that that CJ uh, Gun is is coming back. Let's talk just a little bit about uh, the forfeits and, and the cancellations. Um, you know, there's not really anything we can move the needle for the decision makers and everything, and and guidelines change and and all of that. Uh, I'm just dealing with that as you know, if the game's on TV, I'm watching it. Uh, I do I do have some opinions on forfeits versus uh, cancellations. Ryan, just your thought on some of these conferences and and what they should do given uh, the current situation. Uh, honestly, I do think that if teams have very low vaccination rates and they are, you know, not taking it seriously, and and if players are, you know, not look, I, it's hard to do to 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 cause a forfeit. It really is, and it's hard to give that team a loss. It's harder to give that team a loss to me than it is to give the other team a win. Like you know, because losses hurt you in the end in the tournament. Um, what's really interesting is. It, we'll, we'll go to college football right now. UCLA 
at the last minute here in San Diego forfeited the Holiday Bowl at the, at the last or canceled their their appearance in the Holiday Bowl, and they've treated it like before. They gave the other team the trophy. They're not going to give them a win, which I think isn't fair. The other team did everything right and obeyed protocols and things like that. But we know now that even if you obey protocols, you can get this. And so it's 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 really hard for me to to throw a forfeit loss on a team when most of the team might be acting right and doing everything it needs to do, and one guy can cause an outbreak. You know, and it's it's hard to punish the whole team for that. So I would say, you know, just you know, I get rid of the forfeit system. Um, I, I what I would say is be flexible and the NCA should be flexible. And I know they have those, they've been marketing this forever, but maybe move the NCA tournament back. If this keeps happening, maybe move the tournament back a week and give give some time for some makeup games or something. I mean, you you have to be flexible in this world, and it's something that sports has not picked up on. The NFL will never move the Super Bowl back. I get that. There's so much money tied up in it and everything, and, and, and the specific dates. The NCAA tournament could be moved. It could be altered. They could alter the schedule. They could do whatever they wanted and, and make it work. And, I mean, last year we had a forfeit, you know, in the NCAA tournament. We had a team couldn't couldn't play. The other team just moved on. There are things you can do and be flexible. There's no need to be so inflexible with all of this. So I would just say that I think we have to be nimble with what's going on. And if a team only has 15 wins or 15, it was only played 15 conference games. Well, you're either going to have to do makeups or you're just going to have to count those 15. Uh, what I would say is if you miss multiple games, maybe you're ineligible for the, for the championship or something like that. I mean, you've got to, maybe you can get the one seed in the conference tournament if you have the best percentage, but you don't get to raise a banner and get a championship for that because you've played fewer games than everybody else. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, the situation is so fluid. Um, you know, regardless of where, where people stand, I just don't see if you've done what you can do, um, that you have to forfeit a game and have a loss. It's going to create nightmares for Andy and I and the bracketologists of the world to keep track of, you know, who's playing, who's, you know, Tennessee loses a tough game to Alabama and two of their players didn't play, but they still went ahead and played. Um, you got to kind of keep track of that. All that's going to be in the committee down, down at the end. But I also think, uh, Ryan, where I would try to fit games in is it used to be the Big Ten played Tuesday and or Thursday and Saturday. Um, back when I had 18-game schedules, it was a back, you know, two games. There, there's, there has to be some pockets of scheduling where you might have to play games a little bit closer than what you wanted if you lose a game uh, due to uh, a cancellation. That's one way that I think you're just going to have to suck it up and, and do. It might not be ideal. If you have four days in between, you might have to sandwich and end up playing three games in five days or something like that. But that's part of the problem uh, of, you know, we're going through just a, a very uh, strange uh, health uh, issue uh, in these in these years and until it, it gets to a point where – we don't have to, you know, do these things. Um, we'll do that. Okay. Coming up on um, Assembly Call Radio, we're going to assess what we think we know about this Indiana basketball team as it uh, exits non-conference play and gets ready for the Big Ten gauntlet. That's next here on the Assembly Call. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Verdell Jones. What's better than an epic buzzer beater? The full court dribble and perfectly placed pass to set it all up. And, of course, celebrating with Hoosier Nation afterwards. So join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on an assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the assembly call. Joining us now is Jared Morris. Glad to have him back. um, But tonight we also want to continue to talk about our new sponsor uh, for this main segment of Assembly Call Radio. Uh, And just like all of our other sponsors, they started out as either friends of the show or IU diehards just like us. It's the Superior Insulators, owned by longtime listener and IU season ticket holder Brad. With winter uh, right here now, uh, the timing is perfect uh, to tell you about their high-performance insulation and air barrier systems for both residential and commercial. And you know their work is high quality because they did the air barrier system and spray foam for the IU Excellence Academy. They also worked on the IU Football Locker Room, the Marching 100 Hall, and many other buildings on campus. Uh, Visit insulators.com to learn more and schedule your appointment. That's insulators.com, I-N. S-E-A-L-A-T-O-R-S dot com to learn more. And thank you, Brad, for your continued support for our show. So now in our main segment, we're going to tell you what we think we know, uh, which is a lot or none based on your opinion, uh, about this IU basketball team after uh, 12 games, uh, 10 of which were non-conference and two uh, conference games. So um, let's just start about what I think is – one of the most important things, Jared, will come to you. Um, Trace and Race have just been outstanding uh, for uh, this Indiana ball club, both offensively and, and defensively. Uh, your thoughts on um, what that means for Indiana? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the thing that we know most, right, is that this team is still centered on Trace and Race. Like, we've talked a lot about Xavier Johnson, and we'll talk about him more coming up, and he's extremely important. Parker Stewart's been a big storyline, the young guys off the bench, all this stuff. But the team is still anchored by Trace and Race down low, both offensively and defensively. You know, the anchor of the defense is Indiana's excellent two-point defense. That is due in large part to the fact that teams just really struggle to score when they get in close because, you know, Race is such a physical defender and Trace has become a, a human, you know, shot eraser. Um, and offensively, you know, for as much talk as there was in the offseason about how much this team would utilize the three-point shot, and clearly they're more efficient at it, you know, shooting 37% from downtown, they're not shooting a ton more. You know, I think 33.3% of their field goal attempts are coming from three-point range this year. That's up 1% over last year, you know, and down a lot. If you start thinking about what the Tom Crean teams did, they were taking, uh, you know, a lot more threes. So that hasn't gone up a lot. So, this team is still anchored by those two guys down low. And I think those two guys 
give Indiana a pretty decent floor. Like I think as long as race and trace stay healthy, the floor for this team is to be at least an NIT team. You know, like this team would be eighth, ninth in the big 10, surely make the NIT at least be an NCAA tournament bubble team. A lot of the other stuff that we'll talk about is what can, you know, move them up and get them into the NCAA tournament. But those two guys remain kind of the sun around which everything else orbits. And trace has always been that for the last two years. And I think race now has kind of continued his steady progression up to where he's now the second leading scorer, a huge cog on defense, does all the little things. You know, he's right there. He's not the star level that Trace is, but right there just as important. So that's what, like, of all the things we know, we know that we can pretty much count on those guys to step up and produce and do their thing every game and pretty much give Indiana a chance to be in games because of what they can do defensively and the steadiness they can provide on the other end. And then we'll have to see what else happens. But those two guys are certainly living up to their end of the bargain and have gotten better uh, over last year. Ryan, you're you're a big race fan, uh, you know, giving him the game ball uh, all the time and all things, deservedly so. What what do these two guys, um, in your opinion, bring to Indiana, and what can they uh, do in the next 18 games to even be better and help this team make the tournament? Well, Ray, uh, Trace is just an incredibly talented post scorer and defender. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to go into too many details because he does everything well uh, as a post player. Uh, he doesn't really have that jump shot yet. We've we've talked about that, but his ability to pass this year has really improved out of the out of the double team. I'd, I'd like to see fewer, you know, one handed lobs across the entire defense, uh, you know, and some more bullet passes to to shooters on the perimeter. Uh, maybe some two handed stuff to get some more force behind him. There are a couple times he just holds the ball out and then kind of flicks it. Uh, would like to see a little more power on those, but uh, honestly, he's been fantastic and he's been an All American. He's been the All-American guy that he was supposed to be at the beginning of the season. Um, averaging 3.2 blocks per game. I mean, defensively. That's a huge improvement for him. And that has a knock-on effect. It's not just the blocks. It's the fact that everybody who drives in there when he is playing defense knows their shot could be blocked. Even if they don't see him coming, they're thinking about it. And that has an effect. And it has a, a huge effect on why the two-point percentage defense is so good this year. I mean, it's second in the nation, I believe, aren't they, in two-point Field goal percentage defense. Uh, and and Race Thompson, with his physical, you know, he he will block shots as well. He's not, he's not a huge shot blocker like, like Trace is, but he'll affect shots. It's his physical defense that has made the difference. And, and, and he's more of an on-the-ground physical defender. Um, the other thing is those guys clean up a lot of rebounds that could be offensive rebounds. And, and they, they clean up a lot in there when they're both in there. I mean, you know, Trace is averaging eight and a half rebounds a game. Race is 7.8. Uh, and, and quite frankly, Trace would be averaging a double-double if Race was not on his team. Uh, so what I think Race Thompson has done this year uh, is really round out his offensive game a little bit inside the three-point line. Uh, this may surprise people, but Trace is averaging is shooting 61.8% from the field, which you would expect. Race is shooting 60% from the field. I mean, they're both very efficient when they get the ball offensively, and Race picks his spots. He does not force stuff. He knows that when Trace is in there, it's Trace's show. But, hey, if Trace is bogged down, I'm going to find lanes. He's got that little floater. He sometimes will catch the ball at about you know the free throw line, maybe swing through and take a dribble and then shoot a little floater. He's been really good at that. He's been really good at finding backdoor dunks. He's been really good at when they double team uh, Trace. He's been really good at finding things. The thing I've loved about Race this year, though, is the interior passing to Trace. Uh, he's been really good at that and finding Trace. 
So I, they've just both rounded out their games so well. It's, it's, it's an inside 15-foot game for both of them, but they've really made themselves really good at that on both ends of the floor. Well, hey, by the way, to your point about the passing, Race's assist rate is 15.2% this year. His previous career high was 10, and that's up over the previous year, which is six over the previous year, too. So he's improved that. He's become every a really good passer. Year. He yeah, really he has. has. And, and, he's, and, he, and a, lot of those pa- a lot of his passes, too, are like shovels to trace when people come to focus on him because yeah. he's a scoring threat now. You know, I, you're going to hear a theme from me today is what are, what are they going to do against quality opponents? Um, the, the, all of these stats and metrics are improvement. The team passes the eye test. Uh, this team is a lot more enjoyable to watch. I think it's a lot better, uh, but they, they've got to go up against, uh, as we put in the run sheet, a gauntlet here in the Big Ten, a really tough um, conference. Can they do it? Uh, Trace has struggled sometimes against size. He needs to be able to overcome that. Uh, you know, so th- so there's some things where, yeah, I think Trace and Race are going to be a handful, and they have got to play at, at a high level uh, for Indiana to reach their goals. And, boy, that's tough to ask someone to do 31, 31 times. We see sometimes the energy drop for uh, TJD at, at moments, but he's been better this year at finding it within games. Uh, and that's got to be, you know, a consistent part of, of his game is that, man, you know, that piano's been on, on your back for three years and it's heavy. You just got to keep lifting it and keep lifting it because it's obvious that these two uh, are, are the key to, to success. So let, let's go to, uh, again, the biggest question. Well, I think there's really two questions, uh, and it's all on our, on our perimeter. The first one is point guard play. Uh, the game of basketball is a guards game. We have two outstanding posts. That's going to help us play well, but we're going to win games based on our our perimeter play, and it all starts with our, our point guards. And there's been a lot of discussion in the community uh, about you know who should be playing and how much. And but it comes down to Xavier Johnson. Uh, Xavier Johnson, it, to me, is the clear cut best option at point guard. He has his pros and his cons. Ryan, we'll we'll come to you first with um, Xavier Johnson. What do we know about him, uh, and, and what is he going to have to do to help Indiana get to that tournament? Uh, well, here's the thing, and, and people like to talk about it, but when Xavier Johnson's bad, it really hurts Indiana. When he's good, Indiana is a very, very good basketball team. Like we're talking top 15 basketball team. When they when he is playing well, they are a top 15 basketball team. When he's not, they're a miss the tournament basketball team. And so there's a huge, very wide gulf there. And it's sort of like, you know, and, and, and they're not similar players, but it sort of reminds me of what when da- Devontae Green was hitting three pointers. Indiana was a really good basketball team because he could drop 30 any night. When he was bad, he belonged at the end of the bench. You know, there was that wide gulf. And so it's not quite as wide with Xavier Johnson, but it's a similar feeling. It's like, all right, what are we going to get from him tonight? He's been better lately. Uh, The turnovers are a huge issue for him. The other thing that's an issue for him is staying on the floor. He's done a better job of it lately, but too many silly fouls. Like, you know, getting into a guy's body 25 feet from the hoop, like, you don't need to do that. Get, I mean, we, he had one where he got into a guy's body 94 feet from the hoop. He, like, you don't need that. There's, there's no advantage gained by bumping a guy 25 feet from the hoop. You know, pick him up five feet later, you know, and don't foul him. Uh, he's too valuable to, be on, to, to not be on the floor. And so the other thing is he needs to feel the pace of games better. You know, I mean, I, I hate 
you know, lo- love his offensive ability, hate his pull-up jump shot. Hate, hate his, hate, hate, if he catches a three-point shot, because his shot has so much that it needs to go through before it gets to the release point, if he catches it and shoots it, I'm fine. Off a dribble, there's so much that needs to be set in that shot for it to work. It's never going in unless he gets lucky. And so he needs to re- recognize that. You can shoot a three if you catch it and you have the opening. Take it. Fine. You've shown you can make those. Off the dribble, never do that. And uh, the other thing I would say is that his driving ability and his aggressiveness make Indiana so much better. He's just got to know in some games like Wisconsin where to pick his spots a little bit. And I, I even said at the time of the Wisconsin game, I wasn't really mad at him for driving in that game because nobody was doing anything. At least he was trying to get something going towards the basket as opposed to passing it around the perimeter and finding nobody open. Um, so I appreciate his aggressiveness. I do think, you know, it's, as Coach always says, you'd rather slow a guy down than have to speed him up. And I agree with that. And, and so you want him to rein it back a little and maybe be a little more thoughtful with his actions on the floor. But the general aggressiveness that he has is something we haven't seen from a point guard in Indiana in a while. And he and that that rubs off on the rest of the team. Jared, coming to you, um, he he has played well, and he has struggled, and it comes back again that uh, in in some of the bigger games against Power Five schools, um, he has had some issues. Um, your your thoughts on on the up and down nature of X, which I think is ultimately more up than down, but there have been some down moments in in, in key games so far this year. Well, it may seem ironic to be talking about Xavier in a segment that is billed as what we think we know about this team. And the irony, of course, is we don't really know what we're going to get from him from half to half or segment to segment in a game. But what we do know is that, as Ryan said, Xavier is the he's the biggest X factor, no pun intended, between this team missing the tournament and making the tournament. Like he's the guy. There's other factors, but he's the guy. And, you know, what I wonder about now is teams will have watched the Wisconsin film. They'll have watched the Notre Dame film. You know, will teams start to say almost use his strength against him, his aggressiveness against him and say, look, we're not going to let Parker Stewart get open shots. We are not going to let Trace and Race get easy touches. Xavier, if you're going to beat us, beat us. Because sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. But that's less of a sure thing than Parker Stewart shooting or getting it into Trace and Race. And so I wonder now if he's going to be faced with more of those decisions where it's like, hey, you can take it every single time if you want it because we're going to leave you open from three and you'll have some driving lanes. You know, will he be able to learn and will Indiana's offense be able to adjust to that to where it's not just him? You know, like like Ryan said in the Wisconsin game, it's hard to kind of get mad at Xavier because a lot of times those were the best options. But Indiana's offense has to make it so that teams can't just do that and kind of play you know because Xavier's greatest strength is also his greatest weakness this is how it is for a lot of players you know and if you if if a a team plays into that he has to be careful so you know that's what I wonder about and you know the point you made I I really like Xavier Johnson I think he's going to lead us to the NCAA tournament I think he brings more to the table than he takes off of it but the fact remains in Indiana's four biggest games this year against St. John's he got in foul trouble and wasn't on the court as much as he needed to be In the Syracuse game, he got in foul trouble, wasn't on the court as much as he needed to be, and his production suffered because it kind of felt like he couldn't really get into the rhythm when he was out there. In the Wisconsin game, he was sensational in the first half. We all know what happened in the second half. Some of that's his fault, some of it's not. And the Notre Dame game, he fell right into the trap of taking all those open shots off the bounce. 
Now he responded to the coaching, you know, once he got benched, but those are were Indiana's four biggest games, and your point guard wasn't really reliable from minute to minute in those games. So we've got to get used to that, you know, and that to me is the biggest question mark. But I know with 100% certainty that when we get to the end of this season, we're going to talk about how good Trace and Race were. And then the very next thing in the po- the last postgame show, it's going to be talking about Xavier Johnson and how he was either the key to us making the tournament or to not making the tournament. I don't know what it's going to be yet, um, but that's the biggest storyline for the rest of the season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Big Ten coaches choose to guard him in their first go around, you know, kind of seeing him as Indiana's point guard. The thing um, that has impressed me about X is uh, watching him in the Northern Kentucky game after the Notre Dame, after the unfortunate fan reaction. Uh, I thought he responded, as you said, in the Notre Dame game, but I thought, guys, he really responded in the Northern Kentucky game. He looked more like a floor general uh, that really was into yes. the game and moving the ball. I always say it, that one more passing. He was looking to do that as opposed to in, in, in Pittsburgh, he was the guy. I, I really put a lot of uh, hope into Kenya Hunter and Mike Woodson knowing how to deal with uh, players and, and their their mental uh, part of the game. And I think X wants to do it. That That's, that's just a feeling that, that I get, that he's not out there uh, selfishly taking nine threes against Notre Dame, that maybe he does no. get caught up in the, in the big parts of games and that. But I think he's got some mentors there. That's the reason he ended up at Indiana for was those two gentlemen, and they've done a good job in in many areas. And there's just a lot of trust from me there. But X and Rob at Northern Kentucky, and again, it's all schedule based uh, because the, the, you know, and I, the the things you put about our four best games in X really concern you when you go on the road at Penn State and Ohio State and start playing every game as one of those top teams. That that is a major concern. But I think X will grow. Uh, is it just enough to? get indiana where they want to get which brings me to the next he, question he's not yeah. he's not a selfish player he's no. an emotional player and yes. there's a big difference between the two and emotion gets by the in way the, in the way at times and the other thing i want to mention to this is just kind of an addendum to this point as we talk about things that we know that we think we know about this team and why x is so important i think we think we know right now christian lander is not yet ready for more minutes yet i think we can all trust mike woodson we see the talent i think Part of us would like to see him get more minutes, and he's done okay in some of his minutes this year, but he's not quite ready. And the other thing is Rob Finnessy's offense isn't ready for prime time either, which is why we need Xavier Johnson. Rob Finnessy, you know, if the season ended today, he's at an offensive rating of 80, which is atrocious, and it would be the fourth straight season where his offensive rating has gone down. So for all the hope, and I look, I think he's played a little bit better of late, and so maybe that kind of leads him into a crescendo as we go into Big Ten play and he's getting healthier. But that just underscores why Xavier is so important. Robin and, and you know, and, and Rob's defense is going to be really helpful. And maybe him playing more off ball next to Xavier, where he can, you know, kind of be in a less pressure filled offensive role will help him. But that's why we need so much offense from Xavier because we're just not getting it consistently from the other point guards. So, Ryan, I'm coming to you with this next uh, question. It's more perimeter stuff. We have some guys who can shoot the basketball. Uh, Indiana is 41st in the country in three-point shooting. I think we just looked that up in in Ken Palm at 37%. Uh, 
what are we doing to get shots? Can we do some more things to get shots? And uh, there's a great question later about you know trying to get three or four more uh, three-point shots. I think that's an area, as Jared just mentioned, you're going to take try to take away those shooters. You're going to try to take away the post and leave the point guards open. But um, how, how good is our three-point shooting? Do we know it's that good? And, and what do we know about how it, uh, it can be even better and get more shots? Your, your thoughts on, on our perimeter shooters? I have a bone to pick with the run sheet for this because it says Indian has at least one outside shooter it can count on in Parker Stewart. We have two. Miller Cop shooting 39.5% from three. That's two. Um, I, 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 Cop has been out, you know, not really played his best in a few games. He's also struggled with injuries. Uh, but I think that when that guy catches at the open three, I feel like it's going in almost all the time. When he when he gets an open look from three, I feel like it's going in. Um, he's also our best free throw shooter. I think we should note that at 94.4%. But he's uh, been a streaky guy throughout yeah. his career, though. That's yeah. the thing about sure. him. Sure. He has too, but so is Parker Stewart. Um, Parker Stewart has not been streaky this year. He's just been good. Uh, but you have to admit, I, you have to think that Parker Stewart's what is he at? He's at 49% right now, I think. Yeah, 49.1%. You have to think that's going to come down a little bit. I mean, it's certainly going to come down. He, he's on it, it almost should go down. It's like Mark Titus's rule. If you're shooting 49% from three, you're not taking enough. Yeah, you know? and, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to come down, though. I mean, you know, we have yes. to think that by the end of the year, a good three-point percentage for him would be like 43, 44 would be great. Um, so it's going to come increased down. Increased volume. Yes, of course, with increased volume. And, and he should shoot more. Um, and I think you can see the confidence growing in his shot with him too he's one he stepped into that northern kentucky game and shot one from five feet behind the three-point line like he came off the bench saying i'm gonna shoot the first ball i get like you could just tell he was ready to go and he and he, he had that loaded um i think this team is a good a good three-point shooting team i i we've seen the improvement i i you know guys like uh what's um the Bates can knock him down uh, I I don't think I think he's gonna have to continue to work on his shot but he has the confidence to knock him down I think uh Leal has not been great lately with the increased playing time but I think that he's still going to be able to knock him down I think that percentage he's at 35 percent I think that's going to go up a little bit um Parker Stewart uh, obviously uh cop Xavier Johnson's shooting 36.4 percent when he catches and shoots he shoots pretty well when he shoots off the bounce he does not we've mentioned that but it's worth noting because he has a he has a strange shot that is a lot of moving parts from the free throw line as well he shoots well from the free throw line as well uh he's dropped a little lately he's down to 71 percent. but early in the year he was much higher and he has throughout his career been a good free throw shooter so i think these guys can shoot i think this is a shooting team they do need to shoot it more i agree with that we don't get enough points from the three-point line but the percentage is high and it's being that percentage is being you know pulled up by Parker Stewart right now. But I think that as these other guys get into the game and get more, get into the season and get more confidence, I think they're going to hit, hit more as well. This team is a threat from three, from the three point line that it hasn't been in the last four years. And, and I think that is, that is a reason why you've seen them play a little bit better this year offensively and have more continuity and more speed offensively because there's more room to do things because the defense is spread out more. Um, So, yeah, I do think they are a good three point shooting team. I don't know if they're going to finish 41st in the country, but if you're in the top 100, it's a it's a sea change from what we've seen in the yeah. past. And so you have to feel good about that, especially as you get new players in who are better shooters and can tick that that up over time. Jared, do we need to run more sets for shooters? Oh, 
I agree with I mean, that. I'm too. biased. I'm a shooter, so I think there should always be sets run for shooters. But yes, no, I think we do. I think I think Parker Stewart needs to get more shots. He needs to get shots to the point where his percentage goes down to like 42, 43%. You know, like he should be taking more shots. So the volume helps make up for the lack of efficiency. You know, I think Cop is one of those guys that when he's hot, you feed him and maybe try and recognize when it's, you know, one of, you know, it's not his night. Leal, I think, is going to be a really interesting guy because I think there's a lot more meat on the bone for him from a shooting perspective. Um, you know, Tamar, I've always yeah. kind of questioned how Tamar will shoot as a freshman, um, especially as he starts going up against better Big Ten defenses. You know, his mechanics can get a little bit inconsistent, a little bit out of whack right now. So we'll see if he can maintain that 34.4%. But, yeah, I think we should. Um, I even think every now and then running a set to get Rob Finnessy open for a catch-and-shoot three-pointer isn't the worst idea early in a game, try and build his confidence. Um, because lot. obviously those sets, those sets then have counters, you know, and if you can run that and you're running it to a guy that a team has to really pay attention to, like Parker Stewart, well, you get a defender leaning, you might have an easy dump down to trace a race, you know? So I would like to see us do more of that. It feels like everything is, it's either, you know, pick it's and roll, inside point out. driven or inside out. Let's try and set something up for a shooter and play off of that. And I think the guys are showing you know, if Parker Stewart is making a cut and going to receive a pass, he's going to get defenders leaning toward him, you know, because teams are going to realize. So I would they like to, to see put, us do more of that. Do you they guys put th- Parker? Well, one second. They need to put Parker on the same floor as Trace or Race and run a set like that, which, yes. as you said, Jared, will open up a dump down. I mean, you know, have Race set that screen or Trace set that screen and just pin and open yes. up because guess what? If Parker's overplayed on the corner, he's either going to get a wide open shot or you've got that wide open dump down. And then if the guy helps off him and has to help off him from the front, kick it back out and he's wide open for a three. I think that that was the whole goal of the triangle offense was to put your best shooter on the same side as as your post player and then put your best driver on the opposite side. So you hit him one-on-one on uh, on the opposite side, he can drive in. Or you've you've got a position where they cannot double from the front. Uh, They have to double from the backside, which leaves somebody open on the backside. So it's, it's, it's a matter of just getting those guys in the same position, running pin downs or whatever, seal your man and you're wide open for, for something. Ryan, do you think, do you think that both Miller and Parker athletically are easier to guard coming off pin screens and staggered doubles because of, of their athleticism? This is something I've just been debating that uh, it's one thing I want to see more sets for shooters. I just do. You can do some screen to screeners. You can do some staggered doubles, uh, get some more movement. I, I don't mind the post kick out I don't mind the ball screen kick out threes which is predominantly what we're doing I would like to see more sets so I was wondering why aren't we seeing more sets after 10 or 12 games then it dawned on me that maybe Parker and Miller are more just catch and shoot guys rather than sprinting from one side to another off of doubles because of their athleticism that's just part of who they had to have on this roster right now agree disagree I mean I will say this I I think I think cop. Uh-oh. Do we lose Ryan? Uh, Ryan just kind of oh. froze, froze. Am I here? Right. Am I here? Not, he was, he was about to back say something now. brilliant for one. Yeah. I'm back. Okay. No, I think cop is fast enough to do it. I've seen his foot speed in the open floor. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he's as, you know, but he's also had an ankle injury and a foot problem. So I think that maybe we haven't seen him at his fastest in those kinds of situations. Parker is a little bit slower. Um, but I still think you can run pin downs just because of the effect it has on the defense and, and run him off doubles. And I agree. Like that just, to get, 
just to get the defense moving. And if the, if his guy is with him, okay, we'll run the next thing, you know. But if not, maybe his guy gets caught up. Maybe they have a bad, bad switch. Something happens. You can still run the stuff. Um, but I, I, you know, he's not. Neither one of them are Steph Curry fast, you yeah. know, or or Ray Allen fast going off of that stuff and going to get wide open every time. So. You know, look at, the, I, I, look at the history of this school. We've had plenty of slow-footed guys that have gotten open shots but, running off screens. So come on. Um, yeah. Those defenders get right <laughs> on that hip and chase people off curls now, too. They don't try to gap as much as they did back back in yeah, the day. Yeah, and what you can do is you can also build in fakes there so they can't right. do that. You know, build in a, a slip of a screen instead of an actual screen so they can't overplay that. Build in a backdoor cut if the guy's over him too much. So he runs out to the three-point line, boom, he takes the step and goes back. Like, I mean, there are ways you can counter that. But I certainly think we need to see more of those guys running off of screens instead of just standing on the perimeter or shading to a shooting spot well, as the ball moves elsewhere. What you're talking about, Ryan, is is set the shooter to screen for Trace Jackson Davis, whether it's a diagonal screen or a cross screen, because then they got a bump and help, or it's an automatic yep. catch and a dunk, and then you can run him off a double or a stagger. Everyone calls America's play elevator screen to screener in, in in our league. I don't know if that plays at the college level or not. Um, but there has They're to basic be basic concepts, coach. They right. play every they play at every level. I mean, it's like the pick and roll. Pick and roll is the easiest play in basketball, and it's hard to defend yeah. if you run and it right. Coach Marlowe gets the the chat mob entry of the day: flare screens, flare screens. Have Parker or Miller reverse it. Flare. If they go with the shooter, you dive the post. Or if you skip it to a shooter and he's covered because he's slow, the post can dive in and be on the move, and they can't find a double real quick. I love the flare cut. Um, but I do think we have we know we have better shooting um, for for sure. And then the last thing, Jared, I think we know that defensively we have sound uh, a sound defense. Uh, again, it has been good against the competition that we've faced. Is it going to um, remain that good, that elite top 14, I think, in Ken Palm um, against the, the Big Ten competition? But the mindset of the coaching staff and the players are there. Uh, I think we can for sure say we know that the defense will carry us going forward. Yeah, certainly we think we know that. You know, as you said, you know, we've seen it. We haven't seen this team face – Big 10 team after Big 10 team after Big 10 team. You know, they've had a couple games and then it's been kind of easy. And so let's see him go through the gauntlet and see him maintain that defense, you know, through tough opponent after tough opponent. But we certainly know at this point that the defense is the team's identity, you know, and it's what this team is hanging its hat on. And so, you know, we'll see how high they finish. But again, I think with what race and trace are going to give you and with the defense, I expect Indiana to play, which I think it might not be top 15 level defense, but I think they'll have a top 25, top 30 defense at a minimum. Like that's your, you know, first or second seed in the NIT type floor, bubble team type floor, which is why I think this team's floor is like, there's a world where everybody stays healthy and Indiana finishes in the NIT because the point guard play isn't good enough and other things don't happen, you know, but the, but the floor is at least that high. And then, the, you know, if the offense gets better, if some of those other things happen that I do think will happen, you know, they're the more that that's the most likely scenario, you know, that gets Indiana um, into the tournament. But defense is going to be what this team hangs its hat on most nights. And that's Ryan, fine. Ryan, what do you think we know about our defense? I think it's much more aggressive. I think that the team is far more connected than it was in any of the last four years. I think they talk a lot. I think they play team defense as well as we've seen an Indiana team 
play team defense in a long time. Uh, I it mean, seems like talking. there's actual accountability for it. Yeah, you know? it, it feels like since Kelvin Sampson was there. It was the last time this team played connected team defense, honestly. And that's a long mm, 2013. time. 2013. They were really good defensively yeah, in 2013. They, they were, but I also feel like there was something missing there with that with that defense. I don't know what it was, but there, it felt like there was something missing. This feels more Small solid guards. Than, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this feels more solid than that. It feels like across the board there aren't holes. Even when you bring in some of the guys that aren't great defenders, you've still got the big guys at the back to help you out. You know, I mean, it – it it never feels like they're out of it defensively, except for when they have a half where they don't show up. I mean, that, that, but that's team wide. That's not just the defense. That's it's the whole team. And um, so, yeah, I think the defense is really good. I agree with Jared. I think it could be a top 25, top, top 30 defense. Obviously, it's a bit inflated right now because of the competition level. But, I mean, the fact that the effective field goal percentage against this team, they've faced some teams that can shoot. And the effective field goal percentage is second best in college basketball. That's impressive, even with the schedule they've played. And so that obviously needs to continue. I mean, their effective field goal percentage on offense is 22nd. That's not going to hold up, I don't think, with this team. I think it'll drop a little bit. But so will the, the defensive effective field goal percentage. But you don't need to be top 25 in both to be a good team, to make the tournament, to, to, to win some games in the Big Ten that people are going to be surprised you win. You just have to be better than you have been. I mean, we, we always said about the last couple of years, there were games where literally if one guy got hot from three, they would have won the, they would have won six more games. You know, it's, it's, if one guy had played better defensively, they win four more games that year. You know, it's, it's this team talent wise was on the verge of being much, much better, but it was always missing something. And you come into this year and you're getting some of the things you were missing. Now it's not perfect. They still haven't put together a full 40 minutes in my opinion, uh, which they need to do. I mean, they're, I mean, they got to start that tomorrow, you know, because of the competition they're facing. But a lot of the things we've said we needed to see from this team over the last long stretch, we're finally seeing from this team. Can they put it all together at the same time? That's the question moving forward. And can they do that against good competition? And we'll see that moving forward. But you just feel like this is a much more complete team that does a lot of the things you need to do to win basketball games. And yeah, they play. Feel that they, they they play really hard on defense too. You got guys that struggle against the bounce. I think Parker and Miller both struggle against the bounce, and they have to be out there against talented guys. But even when they get beat, they're they're scraping. They're trying to get blocks. They're staying yeah, they staying within thing. They compete. Um, the the competition level uh, defensively is really good. So quickly to round up uh, section two around the what uh, what's our uh, Big Ten conference record going to end up uh, being based on what we know. Ryan, you're first. We're one and one right now. Now we got 18 games scheduled to be played. 11 and 7 to guess. So so you're going 12, 12 and 8, eight. overall. Yep. Yeah, 12 and 8 overall. Jared, yeah, I say I say 11 and 9. I, I think we'll definitely have double digits. Uh, obviously, we'll, we'll answer the question about bracketology a little bit later. I think it needs to be 12 plus uh, for Indiana to go dancing and the right 12. Um, so I think they'll win at least two games that they that people are going to be shocked by. Yeah, um, they don't so want to lose one. They should. I think we know we know the team that we we know this. The Indiana basketball program is better. Uh, it's better in many ways offensively, better in many ways defensively. It's better in recruiting. We, we have a guy that we like at, at the head coach. The program is moving in the right direction. Uh, we're a couple bounces away. What we do know, we're a couple bounces away from being, uh, you know, undefeated. Uh, so we are where we're at with our schedule. We just now need to step it up. Um, and we'll answer your questions here. 
coming up in uh, our third segment. Uh, We have great questions as usual, so stick with us here on Assembly Call Radio. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Welcome back to Assembly Call Radio. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, with Ryan Phillips and Jared Morris. And uh, Jared has some subscriber shout-outs to share with us. Yeah, we're still making our way through these. These are subscriber shout-outs, folks who recommended our email list to other people. Uh, and so we are giving them a shout-out. I appreciate this one. Uh, I don't know exactly who this is from. I can see the email address, but it doesn't really give away their name. But the name was listed as Mike Woodson. I'm going to assume that it's not the real Mike Woodson uh, on our Why email list sharing that? it. But I think it is. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe he appreciates it. Well, because I can... I can see I can see the email and it doesn't that's not probably what Mike Woodson's email is. Burner. Uh, but anyway, his location, Indiana, his favorite IU player is listed as myself. Uh he does say that his assembly call leader is Jared. So, you know, maybe it is. But then for his special Ooh. acknowledgement, he says, Thank you to all the fans who have supported me. As for the haters, Jeff Goodman will prove you wrong. Thank you all. So there we go. So we've got a shout out from Mike Woodson. Perhaps not the real Mike Woodson. Uh, let's see. You, you keep shooting the, this down. I, 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 why are we, we should lean into this, Jared, not shoot it down. Okay. Uh, for the next one, we're going to go with Andy, uh, Kenley, Andy Kenley from Indianapolis. His favorite IU player of all time is Yogi Farrell. It was Damon Bailey until Yogi Farrell came along, uh, for his assembly call leader. He says Jared, because he's like an excited little kid on Christmas morning. Every time there is unequivocally good IU news. I'll take that. And for his special acknowledgement, he says, Coach Mike Davis for making my college years fun and for being humble and underrated as a coach. Nice little shout-out to Mike Davis. I'll give him that. Uh, So there are a couple of subscriber shout-outs. We appreciate that. Uh, You can get a shout-out, too, if you uh, subscribe to our email list. There's a link in there. If you share it with folks, we'll be able to keep track of how many people signed up through your link. And we have some different rewards that we give out for that. So feel free to... Share it, spread the news. We're almost at 10,000 subscribers, so we appreciate all the love. Very good. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and also join uh, by going to at uh, going to assemblycall.com backslash community. 
It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's Mediocre Question. Good to have a mediocre question back, and here we go. Uh, as this is the last episode of the year, what grade would you give Mike Woodson for the work he did as head coach of IU basketball in 2021? Ryan, grade Mike Woodson. B plus, I think. I think the off everything off court has been fantastic. There's been a few, you know, I mean, the fact that the team wasn't ready to play against Syracuse is it knocks him down a little bit. They they came back, they played well in the second half, and the second half collapse against Wisconsin knocks him down a little bit. Other than that, and there've been, a, you know, uh, I, I understand losing some focus in the early non-conference games, you know, a, a, a couple have been a little there've been some ragged stretches or whatever, but off the court, A. You know, all of the the recruiting stuff, putting the other's coaching staff, retaining guys, <laughs> all of that, A. A+, plus, great job. Coaching on the court, uh, knock him a little. I think he'll get better. I think as he gets used to the college game, everything will will improve. Um, but yeah, I, I give him a, a solid B plus, boarding on an A minus. Jared, I'm debating between an A and an A minus uh, for a lot of the same reasons that Ryan said. I just think he's grading too harshly. I mean, I think there have been some hiccups on the. Uh, well, I think there have been some hiccups on the court. Yeah, but harsh doesn't mean that that's the right grade though. Uh, the most important thing for Mike Woodson was to restore enthusiasm and in the IU program and faith in the fan base, and he has done that. He's recruited well. Like it feels, you know, we are not that far removed from this program really feeling like the foundation was crumbling and like what the hell are we? And it feels like that has been restored. And the main reason is Mike Woodson has come in and taken charge and been exactly what this program needed. It hasn't all been perfect on the court, but I kind of think that what happened on the court through these first 12 games, assuming there was no disaster, was honestly like the least important of all the jobs that he had, you know, and he did all the other ones well, and he got us to this point at 10 and 2, still in a strong position to make the tournament. So it's not an A+, plus, but I'm still, I'm giving him an A, because I think the most important stuff and getting this fan base rallied around the program again and getting the recruiting back on a firm foundation, he's done that. And I if feel really good about moving forward. Even if I have a lot of questions about the next couple months, I feel great about where it's going moving forward. No, I, and, and to clarify, I, I feel great about the direction of the program. If you're just giving me a grade from right now, I think that the two best teams he's played, they've lost against. And so I got I to gotta knock it down a little bit. I am being harsh, but I think that's fair. They haven't played a tough schedule. They've done well, though. Right, Ryan, you're, you're not being harsh at all because A is excellent. B is very good, C is what's expected, D is barely doing anything, and F is a failure. That's how I grade all the projects. I just pick a letter and what I feel about this essay. I feel that it's a B plus. Um, I think he's done a very good job in a lot of areas. I think the, the miscommunication at the end of the Syracuse game with the trap or not calling off the trap or making not sure the players knew what was going on uh, was an issue. I think um, there's been some issues, uh, just some basketball issues uh, with him learning what he wants to do with this team and this team learning what Coach Woodson wants to do to keep it from being excellent. Um, and, and so I, I think that's a fair grade, uh, a B plus. I think he's done a very, very good job. Happy he's here. Think I trust him a lot. But uh, my grade would be uh, a, a B plus as well. And and I just don't think that's harsh. Um, but there you go. One A, two B pluses, and 
Joel wants to know, can he find a way to get his team three or four more attempts? We kind of talked about that. I think we're all in agreement uh, that we need to run a, a little bit more uh, sets for our shooters. So, Joel, I think uh, we answered that. If not, text me later, uh, and I'll give you my, my answer. Um, so there's two questions here um, about where uh, Indiana is. <laughs> uh, that is true, true Joel. Um Lisa asks this, Mike DeCourcy has IU as a play-in game with Belmont. That worries me. Mike is generally fair and a supporter of IU and the Big Ten, but he's not a fan of our schedule to date and believes, as I understand, that we've got a lot of ground to make up even to even make the tournament. Can we do it? Uh, Dave also asks, uh, what January record do the Hoosiers need to post to be on pace for a relatively stress-free selection Sunday? Assuming they play all nine games, he thinks it's 6-3. and three. That would finally get them to at least one uh, good win, but I'm no bracketologist, so uh, a little bit of there. I- I'll turn it to you guys first, and then then I'll go and, and summarize some stuff that I put um, in in the run sheet. Your thoughts, just generally, of Indiana's uh, chances and and what they need to do in the next nine games uh, to be in position uh, t- to to be where where you think they are. Uh, Jared, we'll start with you. Well, I think we better definitely win four of the next five to, to feel good. We're playing at Penn State, home against Ohio State, home against Minnesota, at Iowa, and at Nebraska. I think if this team's going to be in the NCAA tournament, you've got to beat Penn State on the road, Minnesota at home, and Nebraska on the road. I know that's two road games, but it's against Nebraska and Penn State. NCAA tournament teams win those games. So then it comes down to home against Ohio State and at Iowa. I think you can win both of those games, but, you know, it's probable that they'll lose one of them. And then you got obviously Purdue coming up after that. Um, and then things get a little bit tougher, but it's Michigan, Penn state, Maryland, all games that are winnable, you know? So what do you say? Six and three. I mean, I think it's, there's a really good chance for Indiana to win seven of the next nine. Now, are we ready to do that? Is, you know, our point guard play ready to be that consistent? I don't know. Um, but I think if you can get that, you're going to be feeling real good heading into February and March when things get tougher, but also when a young team under a new coach and a new system should also be hitting their stride and getting better. Um, you know, so I know that I said that I think we'll go 11 and nine. I'm not ready to say that we're going to win all these games yet that we should win. Um, you know, that's kind of the question mark. So, you know, I think at a minimum, the person who asked the question is right. You got to have six wins, I think coming out of January because things do get a little bit tougher. Um, but it's there. I mean, the schedule's there to get six, if not seven, if this team is really ready to go. Ryan, your thoughts uh, about where Indiana stands as far as tournament-wise and especially the, the January games uh, that was mentioned in that second question? I mean, obviously there's a concern with the tournament because people are bringing it up. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's you brought it up. The course, he's brought it up. Other people have brought it up. They just haven't played a tough schedule, and they haven't really impressed anybody yet. Um, I think in the next month, I think the bottom, the absolute bottom is five wins. The absolute bottom is five wins. You've got to do better than that, though, I think. And, and, and Jared said, four out of the next five. I agree with. They're, they're absolutely four out of the next five. Again, baseline, four out of the next five. You lose one of those other games. Uh, you lose to Ohio State. Ohio State's a, a, a top 15 team. It doesn't hurt you. And you'd love to win that game because it's at home and they haven't lost at home yet. But you lose that game. Okay, you, it, if you play well, you feel, uh, uh, all right, fine. But any of those other games you lose, you're in serious, serious trouble, I feel like. You know, so I'll, I'll try to run through this quickly. Um, and, and this is when I don't necessarily like being a bracketologist because 
you, you kind of know what, what's ahead for Indiana. Uh, Indiana's got a tough road to make the tournament. Uh, that's just being honest. That's not a judgment of Coach Woodson or, or the team. It's just um, they currently are, are 0-1 in quad one, 0-1 in quad two with a strength of schedule of 297 out of 358. Their non-conference strength of schedule is 347 out of 358. Only five teams since 2016 have made the tournament with a non-conference strength of schedule over 300. Now, that's at the end of the year. So if Marshall and Louisiana and some of those teams get better, maybe that creeps up. And that's not just a, an outlier, but that's kind of what we look at as a bracketologist. Uh, North Carolina State was t- in 2019 was 22-11. and 11. And three and nine quad one, five and zero oh in quad two, so they were eight and nine and got left out with a net of thirty three. Had really good metrics. Um, Nebraska in in two thousand eighteen was thirteen and five in the Big Ten um, and played way too many teams in quad three and four and got left out as fifth place team in the Big Ten. Now the league was down. Uh, I don't think the league is down this year. So there are tons of uh, tons of opportunities. There are nine right now quad one games left. Uh, there are five quad two games left, tons of opportunities, but you got to win the right Big Ten games. Um, if you win nothing but quad two and quad three, you're going to be eleven and nine. I think that is. There's, yeah, there's not. You'll be ten and ten, and you can go zero and ten in quad one and not make the tournament. And have a five hundred record in the Big Ten. So to me, Indiana needs to go twelve to fourteen wins in the Big Ten and win games on the road against teams like Ohio State, uh, pick off a, a, a Michigan State on the road. Those are very, very important. Do I think this team can do it? Yeah, I do. Uh, but they just have to. Um, th- there's no backdooring in because of the weakness of the, of the non-conference uh, schedule. Uh, a team like Michigan is in a much better place being 7-5 and five, even after losing tonight because all of their losses are to really good teams in quad one and, and their strength of schedule is like 50 um, and boy, that it just matters to the NCAA tournament, whether it should or not. Um, it, it, it just does. And that's where we're at. Uh, but there's enough opportunity for Indiana to, to make the tournament. They are just going to have to win. Uh, and that's what we want. And, and that should be, I guess, as expected. I mean, ultimately you have to prove that you can beat NCAA tournament level teams to right. make the NCAA exactly. tournament. Indiana, Indiana hasn't beaten. Yeah. Indiana hasn't beaten any of those teams. The crazy thing is when you start looking at the schedule and kind of how these Big Ten teams are playing. Like normally, like you remember the last couple of years, you look at it, it's like my God, NCAA tournament team, NCAA tournament team, NCAA tournament. It's like one after the other. Look at it now, okay? Ohio State, you expect them to be in the NCAA tournament. Purdue, Illinois, Michigan State. You know, Wisconsin will probably be there. So there's like six or seven games, and then the rest of it is. I mean, is Maryland going to make the tournament? Is Michigan going to make the tournament? Or Iowa? Do we think they're going to make? You know, so like, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of there aren't as many chances this year for the signature wins in the Big Ten that you know that there has been in the past for Indiana, which means got to damn well beat Purdue. One of them, and I think we're going to do. Those. So we need so, to beat them. Yeah, quickly. Now, you know the, who we definitely need to beat, Jared. We definitely need to meet Illinois on February fifth. Yes, yeah, so so definitely we have a good team. That. Yes. But Indiana needs to go four and five in its quad one games, four and one in its quad two games, and four and zero oh in its quad three games. That's twelve more wins. That puts you at thirteen and seven. Uh, I think you're in the tournament. I don't think you're going to get a high seed with that necessarily. Maybe an eight, nine, ten range at best, depending on what other teams do. Um, 
And, and there is a path to doing that. Um, there are enough teams. And, again, Mi- Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin all can pop up to quad one, too, if they win some games. They're, they're right on that cut line. So th- there's plenty of opportunity uh, for Indiana. Uh, Paul asks, how much maturing do you think will happen the rest of the season? Uh, which side of the ball will improve more, offense or defense? Uh, Ryan. Well, the defense has been pretty great so far, so I would say I would have to say offense. Um, and I think it will. I think that more guys will start shooting the ball, and I think that the volume of three-point shots will go up as Trace Jackson Davis is more pinned in by better competition. Uh, I think you're going to have to start shooting th- some threes, and I think that will lead to some better efficiency on the offensive end. And the defense has nowhere to go but down yeah. right now. Let's be real as far as the numbers go. Jared, do you, you agree with that? I think that's the yeah, simple way think, to go. And I think I think there's the opportunity for a lot of growth because I think Tamar Bates is a freshman. I think he's the type of guy that instead of hitting a freshman wall can get better, you know, later in his freshman season. Um, I think Jordan Geronimo has a lot of space to continue to get better as he goes through things for the second time. And so I think those two guys on the second unit, if they can become more consistent or if one of them moves into a starting role, you know, you move maybe a Miller cop to the bench and get a little bit more athleticism in your starting unit. um, You know, that can kind of change the dynamic. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what role Trey Galloway plays when he comes back, because he's still not a guy who can, who has proven that he can shoot, but he's a guy who can really make some things happen offensively because he plays downhill and puts a lot of pressure on the defense. But whose minutes does he take? Is he taking Tamar's minutes? Is he taking Anthony Leal's minutes? Is he taking cops minutes? Um, because you know when he's out there that he's not a guy who's going to give you a lot of shooting. But we know he's a guy who makes winning plays, too, and is probably going to play. So I'm curious to see what impact he can have. Um, but I think as those as that dust kind of starts to settle, um, and hopefully you know Mike Woodson kind of opens up more of the offensive playbook and these guys get more comfortable, I do think. I think the defense is probably going to – I think we've probably seen the high watermark for the defense's efficiency, and that will probably go down a little bit. But I think the offensive efficiency, you know, will will improve and continue to improve throughout the season. Uh, and, and our last question is from uh, Brett. It seems like a half a dozen games since TJD has attempted a field goal outside of six feet. Is he going to have to extend his range? And will he be able to dribble drive against other big uh, front court players um, w- without his shot? Um, we'll, we'll go uh, to you, Jared, first. Uh, do you think we'll see more um, away from the basket from TJD? I appreciate Scott Caulfield submitting that question through his burner account. Uh, no one has been more uh, more of an advocate for TJD extending his range. Look, if we didn't see it in some of the cupcake games when all the pressure was off, I don't think we're going to see it in Big Ten games when all the pressure is on. We can talk about all kinds of stuff in the offseason when we're practicing, playing five on zero, you know, shooting shots with coaches rebounding for you. And that stuff can all sound good. But when you get into a game against high pressure competition, you fall back on the stuff that you have confidence in. And so I just, if we haven't seen it yet, I'm like, maybe we will, but there's absolutely nothing to suggest. He might be forced see... into it at some point, but it's not going to be because he's confident, you know, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But even, even then, you know, like he has a way of, passing up those opportunities and just trying to, you know, kind of stubbornly drive in anyway. So I just, I would like to see it. I mean, like when he has shot, it's felt like it's at least credible. So I think there are some opportunities for him to take those shots, but we haven't seen it. So I don't understand why we would see it when the competition gets better. I agree. 
Okay. And, you know, the one thing is against bigger guys, too, maybe he can catch on a perimeter and drive and spin and score, too, not just post up. So I, I think you the back end of that question is more uh, viable. You might see the dribble drive, especially against the Purdue yes. bigs, um, maybe not the shot as much as the getting going downhill uh, from the short corner from, from the elbow. That's it. We're done. No more questions. That'll do it uh, for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of rigsdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week or sooner if anything breaks. Until then. Take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. That'll do it. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.